This episode is brought to you by Work It Health, now offering medication in California and Michigan and coaching and addiction courses in all 50 states. Get treatment from your living room. Work It Health provides online therapy, coaching, engaging online courses that help you live without drugs, and medication-assisted treatment like Suboxone and Vivitrol when needed. Your Work It program can be done together with the 12 steps or as a standalone solution. Get help at home. Visit workathealth.com slash dopey. Now to sign up or just to get more info. That's workathealth.com slash dopey. What a very nice read. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I am Dave and we are in Manhattan and I'm with my very, very old friend and dear friend, Greg. Hey everybody. Welcome. See, I think it's very important that if one person claps, the, even though you're clapping for yourself, the two clapping at the same time, it just sounds like something happens. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's more exciting. So, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Nice. And we are in my father's apartment, and Greg has visited this place since probably 1981. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's probably true. I don't know if I came to your house when we were that age, but yeah, I went definitely to your early house. 80s. I went sure. to your house when we were <laughs> seven or something. And I have this memory that I told you about that you don't remember. But it's very clear for me, and it kind of hurts my feelings that you don't remember. Yeah, it wasn't meaningful for me. No, it was very meaningful for me. Did I ever, do you want me to remind you? Please. Me and Greg used to draw pictures together. And we would, like little kids do, we would draw superheroes. And um, maybe you didn't do this. Maybe I just did this. But I remember my superhero would always have this infinite amount of force fields around oh, him. Oh, my God. I feel like I taught you how to do infinite amount of force fields. So you, you know what I'm talking my about. style. Of course. I drew that all the time, 24-7. Do you think that, like, indicates some sort of, like, deep psychological problem? That I don't think need? it's that deep. I think, like, you're a kid. You have no power. I mean, why are, is everybody interested in, like, why do kids love superheroes and tanks and shit that shoots? I think, remember Steve Murtaugh's theory about, like, you put power in the title of anything and kids like Power Rangers because it's the thing they don't have any of. It's just like, I finally have power protection. I don't have to do what everybody else tells me to do. But yes, it could also be psychological, like, just... Well, what's another power thing besides Power Rangers? I think, I think a lot of people are missing out on this thing. <laughs> well, like, He-Man was like, I have the power... Okay. I'm, I, you know, it's been a while since I was watching like, Saturday watching morning cartoons things. on the reg, but maybe it's not true. But but anything that they're watching of like you can fly, you can do all this stuff. It's like you they're selling power to like the the community that has the least of it. Kids want to access power, but we but we rather than having power, we drew force fields around <laughs> us to protect us from the world. Yes, that's I, much different than being able to, to fuck shit up because we're like, don't hurt me. I have a brick wall. I have fire. I have an invisible shield. Totally. Then I have the green shield. Totally. Like, what was that about? But I think everybody can relate to that on some level, even people that aren't deeply neurotic and fearful. Scarred. But I remember when my cousin taught me how to like draw a muscly comic book superhero for the first time and I was just so psyched and that's all I did and it was like if you caught me at a certain age you'd just see me like drawing muscles drawing like, muscles drawing muscles <laughs> it's like, it like the most homoerotic six year old but uh, you're drawing muscles and big cocks and huge cocks <laughs> and force fields around them 
Um, so nobody could get to the sweet, sweet coffee. Okay, so we're we're drawing. Do you need to do your phone the 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 car parking? Oh shoot. Okay, you but you got to get back to. So we're so we're in my house drawing force field superheroes. No, that's the whole memory. That's the whole memory. That's it. Oh my god. I remember you had a comforter with some sort of paint splatter stuff on it. Yeah, that's right. I was like geogra- geometric I had so shapes much and style. stuff. I had like the Jackson Pollock. Yeah. Shit. Other kids had like wax superheroes. I you had did, some right? like MoMA. Your mother was like, "You're gonna get the classy comforter." <laughs> yeah. You're like, "Mom, can I get the Hulk?" She's no like, way. I was like, I was an intellectual, a steed, even back then. You were into it. Oh, so into it. I don't believe that. I had at all. so much flavor. Um, I think it's. That's funny that you were saying you felt so vulnerable about a story where we're drawing all those force fields. I don't think I felt vulnerable. I think no, the fact that it means nothing to me and I don't remember it, and it was your favorite moment of your childhood. It hurts my feelings. It no, it it hurts me because like I also really enjoyed it. Like I remember because like we didn't when we were little we didn't hang out that much, but like I remember that time and I was like I like to go to Greg's house (laughs) and like you're like I don't care and like. So that hurts, you know, years and years later. I, I also remember, though, like, because me and Greg, like, have, you know, we've known each other, li- like, since we were little, little kids. And we've always, like, kind of been in the same world of friends and stuff. But we didn't really hang out hardcore until right after, at the end of high school. You know, and I remember, like, the summers at the end of high school, you would come over and... Uh, and I would smoke tons of pot, and you wouldn't necessarily smoke tons of pot, and we'd play video games. Do you remember yeah. that? Oh, we would just course. sit we'd there. Play Blazers, Bulls all the time. And NBA I jams. was Golden State, and you were the Knicks, usually, right? And, we, and I'd put on, and I'd, I'd be like, we'd play NBA jams, and I would be like, and I'd be like, hold on. And I'd put on like the Grateful Dead Cumberland Blues, and I'd be like, now I can beat you. And I was like, <laughs> think I was fast because the, the Grateful Dead were playing, and I'd be like, that it's was fun. a weird uh, music to play when you want to get really fast. No, I mean that song. It's like, ding, 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 you know, it's like very like fast paced uh, shit. Now we got to switch gears and, and update the Dopey Nation on uh, where Dopey is at. Last week, I don't know if you know about this, but last week we had t- MTV Teen Mom. Amber Portwood on. Do you know who that is? Oh, from you interviewing her. That's yes. about it, yeah. Well, she's a big MTV star, and because she was on Dopey, Dopey was in People Magazine, fucking Fox News, fucking oh, Us news. Weekly, Radar Online. They mentioned uh, this little stupid podcast. So thank you, Amber Portwood. What a thing. And we cannot wait to have you back on the show. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that blow your mind? It totally blows my mind. I'm very impressed. Are you? Yeah. What impresses you the most about this? Just that Dopey is large and, you know, is relevant, but more importantly, is helping people and listening to calls with people being like, you help me stay clean and not kill myself. It's amazing. You can drop the mic right there. And then it's just an added bonus that, like, people are shouting you out and, you know, Artie Lang and Dr. Drew come by and chill. Artie Lang, Artie Lang, um, I was t- Artie Lang texted me out of the blue the other day, and, and I'm going to read you the text. He texted me, he texted me, what the fuck? Um, Have any Dopey wor- uh, viewers, are they worried at all about your obsession with Artie Lang? No. Okay. Good. I think Artie Lang might be the only one. <laughs> But I also, like, I, it was surprising because I think... He's text- worried when you have, like, a black baseball cap and hoodie outside his apartment and he sees your eyes peering in through his window. 
I feel like if I was there, like I honestly think that if I went to Hoboken to see Artie, I think he'd be psyched. Like I know, I know that sounds crazy. I think he would be psyched, but I don't think he's psyched to get the text. Right, I, I believe that. So I text him a few times a week, and um, I think the last thing I said, oh, I said sorry, I keep bugging you. Um, I just know what early recovery is like, and hope you're talking to people. I don't want you to die next. All my best, Dave. Um, and then he, then days later. I guess it was days later. Today's what? The 30th. It was two days later. He writes, I'm doing okay. Please don't think I'm being hostile if I can't answer text soon. I'm in the most stressful part of my life ever right now. Uh, just saw my probation officer for the fourth time and still avoiding jail. I sweat it out every time. And I wrote, I can only imagine. Fucking scary. I just know how recovery can skeeve you. And I just want to be helpful if I can. That's right. And then I write, and then he writes, you're a great guy, man. My life's been chaos for 35 years. At some point, it's got to end or slow down. I'd prefer the second option. And then I write... Oh, no. And then he writes, LOL, which I never like. Do you like LOL? No. Do you write LOL? I never write LOL. Never. What do you write? Well, you know, because you hate when I... Oh, I (laughs) forgot about that. I like to double-click text and respond with little bubbles like, ha-ha, and... Heart and thumbs up or thumbs down, um, and Dave hates it, and I that hate just it. makes me want to do it more. You do it all the time. Yeah. Would you do it if I didn't hate it? Do you do it? I with would everybody? still do. I do it with everybody. Why do you do it? It's great. I mean, the whole purpose of a text is like quick communication. If I can express that I enjoyed and I like it, if somebody, I want to know that somebody laughed at my text joke, and you, you can just write ha ha and get on with your day. What do I have to write like a Proustian fucking text? What's a Proustian text? (laughs) Proust? Come on, son. Proust with the Madeleine? Yeah. I thought his name was Proust. (laughs) Um, But the question is, though, um, do you think that they set that shit up so that you don't have to have the the LOL problem? That was an amazing pronunciation of Madeleine by Dave, I gotta say, also. Um, Do you think that the fucking... LOL is a bigger problem than society is acknowledging. Do you think that there are two kinds of people, those who like LOL and those who don't? Do you think it's really big or is it not I, I don't like using that, those three layers, LOL, but I do understand the desire to tell people that You're you laughing. laughed out loud at what they said or that I have a desire, like I enjoy knowing that I made somebody LOL, I just don't like writing it. How about Artie, though? He LOLs at himself. <laughs> it, it wasn't me making him LOL. He writes something, well, and then he writes But LOL. that's for people, because they're worried that you're going to take something personally, so they're telling you, like, I'm joking. Like, in the Artie episode, it was hilarious, because <clears throat> I know you find him funny, but, like, he would make these jokes, and it would be silent, and he'd have to keep being like, I'm joking. I'm just joking. I'm kidding. I know, that's a problem, Because right? it's, like, dark. Wait, which is a problem? The problem is... <clears throat> Like, you know me. Like, when I laugh, like, I laugh. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, it's serious You're laughter. trying to stay in the game, keep your head in it. No, I'm just saying, like, if something doesn't tickle my fancy, I can't just laugh. Right. You right. Know? Well, it's a good, it's a great quality of yours. And, like, Chris, who I think was genuinely laughing at him, like, Artie was like, Chris has been fake laughing the whole time. Like, you kind of got props for, like... Not laughing, and, uh, and, that, and that's a great... I feel like that's, that's a very great quality of yours. It, like, you won't pretend... You won't bullshit for somebody's 
benefit, and unless you find it funny, you're not laughing. To be polite, you're not as people-pleasing. Right, but it's like, with Artie, it would have been great if I could have... I just think that if you... Okay, do you ever do you ever laugh to please? Uh, yeah. And when you laugh to please, does it hurt? No. It never hurts. No, because I like like I don't like to be if I like put myself out or make a shitty joke. I you think want a little snicker. It's nice of somebody. They're just saying like we're here, we're together. It's social. It's them it's not fake like laughing a death. is like texting LOL. Uh, yes. It's like acknowledging exactly. That you were exactly. To be exactly. Right. It's a nicety. It's a social grace. It is. I hear you. But I like that he LOLs himself. Then, so he says again, his joke was, and, and Artie, I'm sorry that, I know you're listening, so I'm really sorry that you're, I'm reading your text, but this is in lieu of you coming I on was, the show. I was thinking the same thing. Um, which? That I shouldn't read his text? No, I was thinking you should because he's not listening. Okay. Well, is that, is that okay? Or am I violating? I mean... In the end, the punchline is not... good in love and addiction podcast. podcast. Yeah. Um, and he says, he says, you're a great guy, man, which I'm not. Totally. I'm an opportunist. Um, my life's been chaos for 35 years. At some point, it's got to end or slow down. I'd prefer the second option, LOL. So he's laughing. And I write, I'm a fucking huge fan of yours, and it's an honor to communicate with you at all. You can slow down and thrive if you want to. Do you ever talk to anyone about recovery and addiction and stuff? And I don't stop texting you, right? I keep going. This is just recently? This is yesterday. You've already written all that to him. I've heard other podcasts of yours where you've quoted your text. They're the exact same. Then this I is say, like the swingers phone call when you keep know, calling back. I know. And then I say, I know it's annoying to hear, but you can get better. Oh, God. And be happy. Jesus. I'm convinced of this. I was on heroin for 15 years and methadone for six, and my life got better. Either way, I love you, man, and I have your back. If you ever want to talk, please let me know. And Dopey is about to blow up. The drummer from Guns N' Roses is coming on tonight for National Overdose Day. You know what I already said? What? Please stop texting. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Oh, good for him. And what did I write? <laughs> Copy. <laughs> so, I mean. So good. Good. There's just like a huge block of blue on Dave's screen from all of his texts, the little novellas he wrote to Artie trying to make love to him. I know. I, I've never tried to make love to a more disgusting man. <laughs> um, so let's, let's move through it. I'm going to play a voicemail that I got. You want to hear it? Yeah. It's actually from one of the best, if not the best, dopey voicemail artist, which is Tim from Philly. Uh, he sounds like he's really going through it. I've been talking to Tim, and uh, I thought he should write a, or send in a voicemail to let people know what's going on with him, and I'm sure some of you can totally relate. So here is Tim. What's up, Dopey Nation? This is Tim from Philly checking in. Um, I wanted to give a quick voicemail, leave a quick voicemail, and let you guys know where I'm at. Uh, Dave... Dave kind of knows what's going on in my life, but I thought that I would share it with the rest of you in hopes that uh, maybe it helps somebody. Um, I am fresh out of detox, about a week and a half out of detox. I went in for seven days, and uh, and uh, let me start from the beginning. So uh, about six months ago, I uh, picked up a substance called Kratom. I'm sure some of you know 
what that is. Probably most of you know what it is. Um, and uh, at that point, I had uh, roughly a year and a half clean. And I want to just preface all this by saying that my facts are as um, honest as I can make them. I'm, you know, the timelines are a little blurry, and you know, I'm trying my best to remember things exactly as they were and, and to tell you them exactly as they were. But so, um, had about a year and a half clean. I was uh, doing a lot of things um, that would resemble working a program. I sat on the board of directors at a, a large recovery program here in Kensington, Philadelphia. Um, I floated around like I had my shit together, um, helped some people here and there, um, you know, showed face at church all the, you know, a lot of Sundays. <laughs> And, uh, you know, from the outside, I looked like everything was, was going really well for me. And I managed to get a year and a half uh, without using any substances. Except now that I think about it, um, I did, even before this, uh, I did abuse gabapentin. Um, not in a way where, uh, you know, I took a whole bunch of them to get high, but I was prescribed them and I took more than I was supposed to. Um, even if I take one more than I was supposed to, you know, I, I'm not following doctor's orders. And I guess really that's when the relapse started. So anyway, had about a year and a half. Uh, we'll just, for the story's sake, we'll just say that. And um, so I decided to pick up this stuff called Kratom. And uh, the reason I did is because I uh, heard about it through a friend who seemed to be doing pretty good in life. And he uh, mentioned it on Facebook, said how it helped him with anxiety and yada yada. And uh, it was just gray enough of an area for me at the time that I thought, why not? Um, so I so I tried it. And, you know, it, it's, it's a very weak, I don't know, people will tell you it does different things for them. And it's supposed to, in low dosages, kind of give you energy and in higher dosages uh, give you sort of an opiate effect, which I've, I never experienced from it. I tried taking a lot, didn't really get that opiate feeling I was looking for, but um, I did get a little bit of a euphoria, euphoria with it. So I, I was putting it in my smoothies and started taking it and that went on for a few months and, um, and I guess... I guess what happens is, you know, if you do something long enough and you know you're not supposed to be doing it, um, it weighs heavy on you. So, and, and, and it eventually becomes too much. And I think that's what happened. Um, I'm running around. People think that, I'm, you know, people are coming to me for advice. People are, um, you know, people think that I'm, I'm this big wig at the, yeah, it's just, it's just a joke really. Um, and here I am you know, screwing around with this substance and, um, doing things that I shouldn't be doing and still doing like, you know, addict behaviors. Um, and, and not just little ones here and there. Like I was doing some slimy shit. Uh, and I think that those two things combined kind of led me to a point of like, just not even really conscious of what, what was going on. And I, and I let my you know, I let my guard down and uh, let my recovery kind of get away from me. And uh, business became more important. Um, you know, just 
life became more important when when we all know that you know recovery and and a program is is that's got to be first you know and i used to say to people i'd say you know i live a big life and 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 aa is only 10% of it but it's the first 10% and i love that saying cuz i at some point i'd like to get there where it's like yeah you know you can have a big life you can have uh you know a, a business and a, and and travel and do all this great stuff and and AA you know it might only be a small percent but you got to keep it that first 10% and that's where I think I screwed up so anyway uh, start messing around with this uh, and within the last I would say let, let's fast forward because that just dabbled and I'm just doing all this crazy stuff and it leads me to um, start taking to start messing around with uh, perks so I, I, I took perk sets a few times um, took some benzos a couple times and uh, I got to a point where I knew I was screwed so here I am um, at work talking to my co-worker about where I was at trying to convince her that I had everything under control trying to convince her that you know I could do this and that I wasn't gonna, you know, I'm smart enough to not go back to that. I haven't done hard drugs in like five years, so I'm just, I'm too smart for anything to happen, don't worry. And I get the news that Chris dies. And it hits me like a ton of bricks. Um, I, I instantly, I got full of just dread um, because if, here I am thinking that I, I, it can't happen to me and it ends up happening to someone who I thought it could never happen to. So I freak out, I contact Dave, tell him where I'm at, and um, you know, I don't know. I, I, so I go to rehab, and thankfully I decide that I'm not gonna try to do it at home because I, I that went through my head, that, that brilliant idea, which we know how that ends. Um, but I go to detox, and I stay for seven days, and I get out, and I'm still an emotional, mental, wreck and the physical parts is is all healed but I'm still just fucked up on the inside and I decide that I can't take it anymore and I want to I want a Percocet and I, and then of course my brain says you know just get a couple of them and we'll just wean down and you'll be fine you know we'll just use them to just kind of you know just to break the fall a little bit we'll get you out we'll get you off all this stuff in no time but there was also a voice in my head that said if you go and get a Percocet you are fucked right so uh, and I listened to the voice I listened to that voice I believed it so I go and I get a Suboxone instead off the streets because you know in Kensington you can get anything you want in in five minutes it's it's all right there so I get a Suboxone I take a tiny little piece of the Suboxone probably one and a half milligrams you know maybe to, I don't even think it was, it was one and a half. I think it was probably one to one and a half milligrams. I take it. I instantly feel better. Um, all the, the, uh, anxiety and the depression like left immediately. And, uh, and so the next few days I proceed to take that tiny little bit of Suboxone. And, uh, that's where I'm at. That's currently where I'm at. And I tell Dave and I tell everybody else in my life that's like, you know, you shouldn't do this, you're fucked, yada, yada. I tell them I don't have the luxury to go away at the moment. And I don't really know any other any other solution to what ails me at this moment. I, I know AA works. I know, you know, the program works and a higher power works. But right now, that's 
it's not working for me and I have to stay alive long enough to, to get something that works other than drugs. So I am taking tiny pieces of Suboxone, you know, uh, usually I take about one milligram twice a day. That's what I've been doing. Um, I'm going to just hang here. I am going to try to go to a Suboxone doctor so that at least I can be doing it the right way. And, you know, I I'm just, I'm really hoping that I, I can just stay, stay good for long enough to get this thing because I know this isn't the final solution. And anyway, I know it's a lot of stuff to try to cram into a, a short amount of time, but um, I don't know. I know this death affected me, and I know it affected a lot of you guys, and I just thought that I would share where I was at because, you know, that's what this program's all about. We need each other, and our stories are what what would help keep each other clean. So I hope you guys are all doing all right out there, and... Uh, Thanks for letting me share. All right, crazy voicemail from Tim. Uh, really heavy stuff in terms of, uh, you know, relapsing on Kratom, turning it into Percocets, which begets Suboxone, and now he's stuck eating little pieces of Suboxone. And I know a lot of you guys are in the same spot. And um, my heart goes out to Tim, and I know that uh, he's more than capable of coming back from this thing. It's just about putting your feet in front of each other and, and doing the next right thing, you know, getting off the Suboxone is very, very tricky. And, um, you know, if you want to be on Suboxone for the rest of your life, and I'm not saying Tim does. I know that Tim doesn't. And if you do, it's none of my business. I just know that it's it's not easy to live with something hanging over your head. Um, and I, you know, I'm very, very grateful to not have any substance hanging over my head, you know. Uh my life is a, a million times better than it ever was because I don't. And I know that Tim felt that freedom, and I'm sure that uh, he'll figure out how to, how to put his feet together in order to, to get back to it, you know? Greg, why aren't you saying anything? Because uh, you're saying it. All right, well, we're going to call Tracy Helton, who is this uh, very, 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 very effective harm reduction mentor or superhero of harm reduction, we'll say. She, uh, I'll let her tell the story, but she is out there uh, on the front lines battling overdoses, sending out Narcan to wherever she can, um, and she's awesome, and uh, here's Tracy. What is, what is the title you'd give yourself? Uh, the heroine of heroin is what people call me. The heroine of heroin, and, she's, and, and Tracy's been on Dopey before, she told some amazing stories. She also called herself the Abscess Queen. You might have more nicknames than James Brown. The heroine of heroin, yeah, like, the Abscess Queen, the hardest working woman in hardest working woman in recovery. What else? That's it? Uh, that bitch. That bitch, That's Tracy. <laughs> That's my old title. I passed it along to whoever. And I saw you on the news. I saw you bringing Narcan to Virginia, right? Or someplace like that. Well, it was cool. Everybody was very happy to see you, and, and I was very happy to see you. Those guys were so grateful. You must be very uh, rewarding work. Do you feel like it's very rewarding? I feel like as a person who did a lot of speaking in my life, I feel like I'm very, 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 very
my active addiction, it's nice to be able to give back, specifically to my community. So I consider the people who use drugs community to be my people. And so I'm really happy to be able to contribute something when before all I did was ask you for a dollar or whatever it is that you had to give me. To see what you could take. Well, yeah. you, you know, today, not only are you giving back to uh, the Dopey Nation, the Dopey community, by coming on, but I also posted your meme on Instagram. The, the why, if, why does, if God loves me, why does smoking crack make my lips so chapped or whatever meme, which was great. Yeah, so I didn't make that one. I usually make ones about when someone comes to me with Narcan. Those are, a lot of those are mine. Um, because I've had that experience of being Narcan, and it's generally not one that you forget, but at least you're alive. So I'm alive today because of Narcan, which is uh, part of why I'm such a fan of it. So, how, yeah, that tell me that story. What what was your Narcan overdose survival story? Uh, I, have, I have a couple, but the worst one, I'll just tell you the worst one. Uh, so I had done not methadone. I had finished the methadone detox. Um, which I had quit using heroin at least for a little while, but then I had returned to it. I was kissing behind my boyfriend's back, of course. And uh, I was at my friend's house, and so I asked her if I could just have her little remnants or whatever she had left, and she had this massive habit. And I did it, and I saw kind of, you know, not necessarily in a good space, but then I turned around, and she was completely out of it. She was blue. And as a matter of fact, I was watching Judge Judy, and I'd eat ice cream, and I turned around, and she was so blue, I had to think to myself, am I going to leave this person? Because, you know, we didn't have access to, like, take on the lock or anything back then. So I was just like, oh, shit, i got to do something. So I started doing CPR on her, and, you know, I was doing that. The CPR they teach you in high school, you're banging on the chest, and you're breathing for the person, because that's really all we have besides for sticking knife in your crotch or whatever. So I'm giving her the CPR, and I'm, you know, this is going on for a while. And just when I was thinking to myself, I might have to stop, because I was doing it for like 20 minutes. Her eyes open, and as her eyes open, the police kicked in the door, and the paramedics were behind them. And so what they said to me, well, the first thing out of her mouth was the joke was hers, which wasn't mine, it was actually hers. So they decide that they need to Narcan her, and they need to Narcan me. So, which was actually a good thing in her case, because she's taking so many different kinds of drugs. Who knew what would happen? So way back then, when they would Narcan you, so either you're going to get Narcan and go to the hospital, or we're, well, we're going to, uh, we're going to take you to jail. So that's what they used to do to you. So I agreed, uh, of course, to go to the hospital. So they Narcan me and they Narcan her. So she was on the, under the influence of some other drugs, too. Wait, hold up, hold up, bonded. hold up, Tracy. They came in and she was overdosed, so they Narcan her. But you were performing CPR. Yes. So what? How did they yes. Narcan you? At the time, you didn't have a choice. I said, "Well, I, I can." Their police are there. I said, "Well, how could I have brought her back to life if I'm overdosed?" And they said, "Oh no, we're gonna Narcan you too." So I was like, "Fuck!" So there's two different stories here. I'll tell you the other way after that. So then they, so then they, they Narcan her. They Narcan me. The whole way to the hospital, she's like, it was my time to go. Why didn't you just let me go? I was like, no, stop. Let her die next time. (laughs) um, And they strap us down, because she's taking Colossus or something. She's all disinhibited. So they strap us down to the bed for 45 minutes. And uh, the whole time she's complaining about her, it was her time to go and all this other kind of stuff. I'm strapped down to the bed. We're all, even though 
Narcan wears off, they, un- they would unstrap you and they'd let you go. They'd let her go. So, of course, we wanted to go up. So, but the moral of that story is, I'm sober now, and she's sober now. Wow. So she lived, and I lived. So the, the time before that, when I had the Narcan, I just remember, I was I did the dope, I was in, and I, I didn't know what was happening. And I was dreaming about football, and I woke up, and I was underneath, I was like, why is my, why are people over top of me? And it's because I was underneath the table. I had fell through a table, when I had overdose, fell like, you know, there's glass tables that you have, you can see your little drugs in your reflection and how pathetic you look at the same time. Yeah. Uh, it was one of those, and I was underneath the table, and so I got saved from an overdose that time, too. And, of course, we always try to refuse to go in the ambulance because you don't want to have a $500 ambulance bill. But, so that's before we had take on the last run. Take on the last run now, I could have saved my friend, and my friend could have saved me, the police wouldn't have been involved necessarily, although sometimes you do need to call the paramedics, and it would have been a whole different, a whole different situation. Of course, we didn't have fentanyl in our dose back then. The worst that we had to worry about was just our wound botulism or flesh-eating necrotitis or something that was going to, you know, or, or endocarditis. We didn't have, you know, fentanyl, something that we had to worry about pretty much in all the dope in the U.S. supply now and in the cocaine. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. When um when you got Narcan and you were giving the CPR, was it painful? Did you get sick? Like what what does it feel like? So it depends on how much opioids you have on board. So if you think of the drugs throwing the opioids flowing through your brain like a river, so the the Narcan is a temporary dam. So in the first case, I wasn't I was I had been using again consistently, so I went into withdrawal. So that was horrible. I had gone into 45 minutes or an hour withdrawal. But then the drugs came back to me. So you for 30 or 45 minutes, the, the, the supply is... 45 minutes an hour. Okay, and it's like you weren't, even, you weren't even overdosing. You were saving your friend's life. The people show up. They basically send you into violent withdrawal. And then it must yeah. have been amazing. An hour later, you get high again without using. Uh, yes, except for now I'm mad because I have, I, I had to be, when I did my events, I had to pay off that hospital bill. I was like, what is this hospital bill on my, you know, you see your little credit report, it was from an overdose. So, because, and it was super frustrating. But the, the experience of having, you know, having, being in withdrawal doesn't, doesn't compare to being alive. Right. Uh, especially in the case of my friend, I mean, she. She was in such, I mean, it was really questionable whether or not she was dead or not. I mean, I really had to think hard about what I was going to do because back then there were no good Samaritan laws. They would prosecute me. Even though it wasn't my drug, they could have prosecuted me for murder, for killing her. Right, of course. Now, now, in most places, they have good Samaritan laws where, if you, you know, you can respond to a person's overdose. But I'm, you know, I'm in the SFA area right now. I walk around with naloxone in my bag. I walk around and see people overdosing on the street i've responded to overdoses and narcan people just walking around have you ever narcan somebody that was in your situation where they like weren't like dying but they seemed too fucked up and you're like i'm gonna put a stop to this kind of thing no what i what i generally do in those situations is monitor the person right so like if you we used to do i used to do this example called the five dollar overdose where you get out of jail and you're feeling sick, and then your friend, you know, you have two, you have five dollars left on your books. So you give your, you go get your little pint of Royal Gate, 
and then you run into another friend, and they might give you a pill, they might give you a value, or something something to tide you over, and then you finally run into your other friend, and then you give them, say, can I just ship in $2 for your rent or something like that, and they hook you up. Well, 45 minutes to an hour later, when the, the value goes through your bloodstream and the alcohol really hits you, you can have all those things combined have an overdose, and so you have to worry because you have three central nervous system depressants all hit you at the same time. So in some circumstances, you have to watch people. You have to monitor them to make sure that all you know that they don't have an overdose later on, either from the drugs in their system, you know, or other drugs that they had in their system that you knew nothing about. Right. Right. Yeah. So it's very. I mean, that. I mean, with Chris, you know, his girlfriend came home. She was, you know, almost a doctor. He had Narcan in the house. She had Narcan in the house, and she just came home too late. You know what I mean? And uh, and that's the worst thing. You know, he he couldn't have administered it to himself, obviously. And by the time she had come home, he had been dead. You know, uh, which is why this International Overdose Awareness Day hits so close to home for us. You know, because we we just. And I had I had texted with Chris not even a week before this had happened. What did he say? We were talking about guests that he wanted to have on the show. Who would? Oh yeah, he was telling me about that. About uh. The, it's interesting that, um, you know, we come in contact with so many people that you can reach out to, but in that situation, a person who's relapsed has so much guilt and shame, they just don't want to, they just don't want to tell anyone. And in the case, I mean, uh, we, a lot of people have the situation where they relapse and die because of the shame because they don't want to tell someone. We really recommend if you're, I mean, there was an old saying we used to have in, in the 2006 with a friend, but in the case of you know, drugs that have fentanyl on it, you really kind of do have to fix with a friend. You have to fix with a friend that has the lost time there and available because you aren't necessarily going to be able to do it and give it to yourself. I mean, I have known some people that did it to themselves, but that's, you know, a handful of people. Right. It must be, like, very difficult to figure out how to do it to yourself. That's, like, crazy, crazy scenario if you can save your own life while you're overdosing, recognizing it, finding the Narcan and being able to administer it all at one time. It's crazy. Um, yeah, these people would, would have it out, like, right there. Ready, right. I, I don't... Them ready. I feel like with Chris, like, I don't think that it was about the shame. I think it was more about... Uh, I, th- I don't think he had been using very long, and I think he really wanted to see how long he could do it. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, but who knows? You know, he's gone, and, and it, all I can say is it's, it's a shame. You know, obviously, I'm devastated about it, and, and, and our, you know, the people that listen to the show, as you could see you know, are so upset, and, uh, and you reached out, and I, I mean, like, I remember the first time you came on the show, um, Chris and I were like, we didn't think you liked the show, <laughs> we were like, we're like, we don't think Tracy really likes the show, but then, and also then, and then you came down on us about having Dr. Drew and Bob on the show, um, and, uh, I don't know, I always, but then you always would reach out, so we always knew that you were a friend of the show deep down, which we, which always meant something to me and Chris, just so you know. Well, I, I mean, if a person who's your friend can't be critical and tell you things that are critical, then what am I? <laughs> what totally. am I? You're totally. friends with the people that tell you the things you don't want to, you don't want to hear, and I think, you know, when a, a person close to us overdoses and dies, it does change a lot of ourselves. I mean, that's part of the reason I do the work that I do. If it wasn't for my friend, you know, being on methadone, everybody pressuring him to get off methadone, him overdosing and dying, I probably wouldn't be the harm reductionist that I am today because I was super judgy and super, like, you know, in, in 
there's the shallow pool of 12 step thinking that my way is the only way. And it changed my whole, it changed my whole perspective. I mean, that was the person I was close to and having them overdose and die. And I had to think of like my own program, what I needed to change, my worldview, what I needed to change. And now that was not, I mean, overdose is, is so prevalent. We all have to mobilize ourselves and think about the people in our life and reach out to them and, and get in our can and have it and have it available and think of the things that we can do to try to prevent this from happening in the future. Right. Absolutely. And, and what... Which isn't really... Which isn't... I mean, it's... You know, it's not really... Uh, I just I just think there's so much more work that we can do and the people who are listening to you are the people who can do that, people who've had experience with drugs. I mean, we're the ones really on the front lines doing the work right now. So what can... Like, what is International Overdose Day all about? Overdose Awareness, Awareness Day all about? And what can the Dopey Nation do to support the cause? So there's events. You can try to find a local event. You can talk to a friend about overdose. You can get naloxone from a local program or see if your insurance covers it. Keep it for yourself or give it to someone that you know that needs it. You can put overdose education on, because you never know who needs it. Put overdose education on your social media. You can put up stickers that say Narcan. There's, There's lots and lots of things that people can do. Educate yourself about overdose because there's still so many different myths that you hear, well, I'm snorting heroin, I can't have an overdose. Well, that's not true at all. Um, you know, I can give someone, I can shoot someone up with speed and reverse their overdose. Well, well that's not necessarily true. Uh, it's, it could be that you're just waking them up or poking with the needle, and now they have to, you know, now there's all these other things involved. Um, you know, just educate yourself about, and even people educate themselves about the drugs that they're using. Uh, I, I, you know, I met. I am one of the moderators of the Our Opiate Forum on Reddit, and you'd be amazed how many people are using drugs, and they first of all have no idea exactly what they do, what the potency is, or like what the side effects can be of different drug interactions and stuff like that. So I think that's a pretty that's a pretty decent list. Definitely, definitely. Um, and like one time I overdosed. I um, it was actually this woman. I had never shot dope before. I was always sniffing it. And I, and I met this woman, and she came over, and she shot me up, and I overdosed, and she brought me back with ice in the crotch. Is that still an overdose if you're not getting Narcan and you're just getting your, your testicles iced down? So what I would say is it's not the ice, it's the movement and the stimulation. So one of the things you can do is you can take your knuckles and rub someone's sternum, which is quicker than putting ice on someone's nuts. I mean, the pain stimulus, having some kind of pain stimulus, if they're not completely, I mean, I can't say for sure if it was an over, it wasn't a fatal overdose, but it was definitely some kind of drug poisoning that you were having. Right. So, in that particular situation, the stimulation might have might have helped you. Um, and luckily, you're here today. Yes, definitely. And um, so, thank you so much, Tracy. I love love to hear from you, and uh, and I want to get you back on in the near 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 future if you're down. Yeah, we need we need horrible tenderloin stories. <laughs> and if you're ever on the East Coast, we could do something in person, which would be super sweet. Uh, I'm going to be in Washington, D.C. September 20th through the, through the 22nd, speaking to the federal judges and some of the probation officers out there. So it'll be an interesting time. I don't know where, how I went from junkie pulling their pants down in the doorway to socially acceptable, but apparently they have better lunches, so we'll see. Very nice. Um, and thank you for everything you do. You know what I mean? You do a lot of stuff for us, 
and you do a lot of stuff for our people and um, it's just it's amazing to watch and you are an inspiration and everybody should where can they check you out Take care. Hey, where can they check you out? Give a thing or something. Oh, where can they check me out? Oh, so, so I'm Tracy H. Tracy with an E. Uh, 415 on Instagram. On Twitter, I'm Tracy H. Tracy with an E. Um, and then I have a blog. If you Google Tracy H. 415, everything comes up. And your um, book. I have, a, uh, I have a book called The Big Fix Hope After Heroin. The Big it's Fix. Book. It's, mostly, it's mostly about recovery, uh, but it has a lot of stuff about harm reduction and like things talk to your family members about and a lot of family members actually read it to try to inform their understanding of harm reduction so um i also donate some to treatment centers and stuff like that because you know when you're kicking you need something to read especially in jail too i come to the prisons in jail right on uh thank you so much tracy we will get you back on the show when we when you want to come back on the show and thank you for calling in i really appreciate it awesome all right thanks Oh, and happy International Overdose Awareness Day to you. I think there should be some kind of greeting. Is there some kind of greeting? Hey, John, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what that would be. I think we should come up with something. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later, but I think that's an idea for a greeting. Some sort of junky greeting for International Overdose Awareness Day. No? You don't think so? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, I'm not sure that would be... You know, a lot of times it's, the, it's like the families that get together to with pictures of their loved ones that's that yeah it can be inappropriate but it could be a way to get people who are in recovery like around it you know what i mean because sometimes you just need to do that kind of thing because that's what we try to do we try to bring people in through comedy and then and then get them hooked and then have them be part of the solution because sometimes the serious stuff is hard to stomach you know it is but uh you get my drift anyway i really appreciate you coming on tracy thank you Right on. Bye-bye. Bye. Tracy Halton, everybody. And Greg dipped out, and he dipped back in. Welcome back. Hey, great to be here. We didn't, we didn't hear the end of his I thing. just came right in time for your nuts getting iced, um, which, can you just play that part again slower? You want to hear the, the testicle freezing story? No, that's okay. Uh, but I was just wondering, wh- like, what was the method, the scientific method for, like, finding that treatment? Was that... Is that that's an accepted, that they were just like, you know, we could do, we could use Snarkham or... It was pre-Narcam. Does anybody have a cooler? <laughs> Take his pants down. Because I think it was the idea was like, it's like the ultimate wake up. You know, if you're asleep, sure. like that will wake you up. Right. And what I remember was, it was actually an interesting story. I was working, I was working um, on my TV show in my early 20s. And we were cutting a show um, on uh, Varick Street instead of where we usually cut it. And there was this very attractive girl who worked there who was an editor. And my editor told me that she was on heroin. And I was on heroin at the time. And I was like... Let's hang out. Yeah, I was like... And I cornered her and I said, I know your secret. And she said, what do you mean? I said, I know you get high. And she was like... No, I don't. And I was like, it's cool. I get high, too. And she gave me her connect. And then we started getting high together. And she shot me up for the first time. And I overdosed. And she, I think she, I remember she beat the shit out of me. And she put uh, ice on my testicles. And I woke up. Wow. Yeah. Because there's a lot of different ways to wake people up. Shake, I guess, be, she tried. I'm sure she, like, screamed at me. Yeah, yeah. She didn't just go stuff. right to the nut eyes. 
So I just want to change gears a little bit and talk about my friend Greg. Greg is like this big time actor and playwright. Super big time. Very big time. You've been on Broadway at least thrice. Not once, sure. not twice, but thrice. Sure. And you've written a few plays. Yeah. And one of the plays I, I found to be kind of dopey. Super dopey. So tell the dopey nation about your pseudo super dopey play. Well, uh, I wrote a play that was based on a, a real story that happened to a friend of ours in high school, Steve. I don't know, has Steve ever been talked about on the podcast? I don't think so. Uh, basically, I think it was during summer vacation or something, but he came back from the summer, I think, and said, I had this crazy story, this weird experience. I feel like it was the summer before college. Okay, yeah, that sounds right. I, I can only imagine that it was the summer before Or before college. our senior year, because I made, or maybe it was, but I made that movie, I feel like, the summer before. No, you made that after college. During college, you did that film school. It wasn't then I, right then I, then I did. Then I did after my freshman year. Anyway, none of this is interesting, but... I think it's fascinating. <laughs> well, the timeline <laughs> is just incredibly <laughs> dynamic to the audience. Uh, so, our friend Steve is like, I was on the train... Uh, I was, I think he was headed to like a summer art class maybe in Midtown, but he lives in the Bronx. This kid started talking to him on the train. And just you guys, Stephen is whiter than white, you know, lily white, Irish guy, very pale skin, blonde hair, thin as a rail, pale as a sheet, you know, anyway. (laughs) And and the kid that approached him was black kid. Right. And now we went to public school in New York. We're not like, oh, gosh, a black kid. But, like, you know, you knew the, the kind of kid that was, like, potentially looking for trouble and potentially... Wanting to fuck with you. Potentially. When we came up, people, it's not, it was not unheard of to be robbed on the train or somebody wanting to take your money or asking you to give them something in a, a sort of pseudo-threatening way. And us being pussies, we might give it to them or we might run away or we might... You know, right. not. This was also a time where there was a gang in New York. You know, the, the whole idea of gangs in New York was not uh, around in that age. But there was this big group called the Decepticons, which was like the New York gang. Yes, named after the the bad guys in Transformers. And, and they terrorized our high school. Yeah, they would just... And you, they were you, they were part urban legend and part real. And people would just run out of the train being like, Decepticons! So anyway, it's in this period that this kid... Steps to Steve. Why did Steven think he was a Decepticon? Was that no, part of the story? I no, I just think did like think he was uh, a what's was... my guy uh, Megatron or Starscream. <laughs> That's right. Um, like to avoid the Decepticons, another uh, friend of ours, a kid we knew, Max, uh, was known to impersonate a learning disabled um, Max kid. Max who? Jay. Did? Yeah, I heard. Didn't you hear that story? Yeah, that he really, he, no. Yes, he would like affect a retarded posture and they would come up to him and he would he is would, that true yeah I, I think so that's so that I, was just like playing possum he would play exactly okay. exactly okay uh so anyway the kid starts to talk to steve it seem it's seemingly innocuous they're like you know maybe it's friendly he's steve's still trying to figure out like what exactly is going on because usually when somebody starts talking on the train like in new york something's up you know it's not if you've not been to new york usually people aren't just like starting up conversation, kid to kid. Um, Anyway, so somewhere in the conversation, the kid says to Steve, yo, 
me and my boys are sticking people up on the train. And Steve is like, like oh, that's interesting. <laughs> cool. Um, and, and Stephen was really smart. Like yeah. Stephen was like somebody who analyzed situations and he's thinking, well, how am I going to avoid getting stuck up on the train? Right. Basically. Exactly. And so he thinks like, if I get off to go to this art class, this kid is going to follow me. So let me just keep, let me just stay on the train and I'll sort of head home. Um, and anyway, they keep talking as if he hadn't just talked about him and his friends are robbing people. By the way, he doesn't see his friends around. They're just this sort of mysterious idea that he has this like crew, this crew that could, you know, this roving crew of, of bedlam. <laughs> uh, not, that's not a word. Bandits? Ban- roving, thieving, Decepticon, you know, what do you call it? A crew that like fucks with you on the train. Like a... Uh, a shakedown crew or something. I, I <laughs> what don't is know. This, the 20s? I don't know. Continue, please. Uh, yeah, they tried to shake him down, see? Uh, and so they keep talking as if they're sort of friends. And the kid is like, uh, do you smoke weed? Steve does. Says yes. Next thing you know, the kid is like, yo, do you want to go smoke? And Steve is like, it's probably... Not a good idea. At the same time, because Steve is like a, you know, guilty white liberal, is like, why shouldn't I go smoke with this guy? Yes, he has said his him and his friends are sticking people up on the train, but he's been very nice. We're having a nice time. You know, I like to go smoke. Uh, I think it was also the adventurous side of, of Stephen. Yes. And that he was, he was like becoming a stoner. Because Stephen wound up becoming this ridiculous stoner. And I think the part of him like was scared. But part of him was also like, this is an opportunity to get high with some stranger, some strange black kid who thinks I'm cool enough to smoke with. Right. And I think that was a real piece of that story. Right, right. It would make him much cooler to go do it. But also, in some way, he also is like, it's also kind of the path of least resistance because anytime he kind of started to talk about leaving or something, the, he said that the kid got a little, something changed. It was a little intimidating or he sort of felt the threat of something, of violence, something. Um, so... Well, that's a real situation that I've been in where like you think it's like this pseudo-friendly terrifying situation where like if you're not and like I'm sure a lot of people in the dopey nation where they had a dealer who is probably going to rip you off but like they want you to trust them and they want you to think that you're that they're cool and you're cool and that there is this air of a, of a good relationship and the second you question the trust which you should right they feel violated right. or betrayed right so You know, and Steve is also like, there is a chance that he is going to rob me, but there's also a chance that he doesn't, and we have a nice time, and I should get over myself. So he ends up, his other thought is, if I don't kind of get off the train with him, well, he was like, so what's the plan? And he was like, all right, we'll get out at this stop. I think it was like 145th. He's like, I'll go get the weed. I'll, you'll stay in the, you'll stay in the station, and I'll bring it back down, and we can smoke it. So Steve was like, oh, that doesn't sound too dangerous. Like, I'll stay here. Maybe even I'll hop back on the train if one comes. Whatever. I can assess the situation. I can assess the situation. I'm not taking a hostage. Right. 
So he's like, all right. He gets off the train. The kid is like, okay, like, let's go. And he's like, wait, I thought the plan was I'll stay down here. He's like, no, 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 come on, come with me. Uh, And Steve's like, I I don't have any money. I won't be able to get back in. If I go out, I don't have a token. That's how long ago it was. And he was like, don't worry about it. I'll pay for your token. So Steve is like, fuck, outsmarted. Goes with him, goes out. He, the the dude is like, okay, wait right here. I'm going to go get the weed, bring it back. Don't leave. So he heads across the street. You know, as he's heading away, Steve is like, I can go now. I'm free. He's gonna leave me alone. I'm free. Just at that moment, he turns around, takes his hat off, holds Steve's fist up like a hat rack, and puts his hat on Steve's hand. That really happened like that? And he says, so you know I won't take off. Uh, I mean, you know, some of it has now cemented itself in the play. As the script. As the script, and, and some of it was what Steve told me. But when I went when I went back recently to like do the final pass on it for the New York production, I I exchanged like a long email with Steve and he sort of re recapped some stuff. So there was some some new stuff. But anyway, so now he has this kid's hat. The kid take anyway. Oh, the kid's name is Eric. By the way, this will be easier to uh, refer to them now. So Eric takes off again. Steve has his hat. He can't go anywhere. Eric like disappears into a bodega. Something. Steve is alone for a long time, uh, you know, in what was then, you know, the hood. Now it's a pretty, you know, lovely, whatever neighborhood as all New York has been. uh, Gentrified. Gentrified. Uh, Anyway, um, I mean, I'm saying lovely. Some would not say that's lovely. Anyway. Uh, we can get into a debate about gentrification or another 145th day. Is 145th Street really gentrified now? Uh, I don't know about really, but like... It's nicer know, than it was then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you like money. So, uh, anyway, so he comes back. Oh, sorry. One detail. The, the kid is like, before he leaves, before the hat incident, he's like, do you have anything? Like, do you have any money? Now, remember, Steve has already said, I don't have any money. How many get back in? So the kid is just like, what do you have? And Steve's like, ah, and takes out $2, which he did have. And the kid doesn't say anything. And it's like, that's all you have? It's like, yeah. He's like, cool. He takes his $2 and that's why, and Steve's like, oh, he just robbed me for $2. This is great. I can go. Anyway, then he comes back with the hat. Then he leaves again. He comes back with what looks like a dime bag. So Steve is like, well, he had to sell out more dough than I just did to do this. Like, this is a super interesting con, if it is one. Like, what is the is end? Yeah, what's the end? Uh, so they go... And maybe in the Bronx in 1991, there were nickel bags. And the dude sold him one for four bucks. Right, Who knows? right, Who exactly. Knows? Um, I doubt it. I mean, in I, I, <laughs> 1991, I don't remember any nickel bags. But I wasn't copying weed in the Bronx. No. Or in Upper Manhattan. As I was. Co- they were no, in Harlem. I was, yeah, I was copying weed in Washington Heights. Right. And there were 10s and 20s. I don't remember any $5 bags. Right. Anyway, continue. Really good bags up in Washington Heights. Really delicious, delicious bud. And so Steve is like, where, where are we going? Where are we going to smoke this? He says he has to meet his little cousin in, a, in this park. So they go smoke. My cousin. They go smoke in this park. Steve tries to fake and pass... 
to stay. You mean not smoke? Yeah, he tries. Yes, he tries to not smoke. He's trying to stay relatively sober, keep his wits about him, because he's like, this could be trouble. See, that's the one piece that doesn't show his burgeoning stoner way that you'd think he'd want to get as high as he can, but right. he was like, he got nervous. Yeah. So he was like, maybe I shouldn't get too altered. Yet, when the dude is like, nah, fuck that, sees him trying to not fake smoke. and pass. Uh, Steve's like, all right, fuck it, I'm here, whatever, smoke. Oh, it's a blunt, which, like, back then... But that was then, the two bucks. The two bucks went towards the Philly. Right. You know, he probably bought two two cigars. Right. He probably saved some bud for later. Maybe his friends were selling bud. Maybe right. it was his neighborhood. Who right. knows? But at, the, at that time, like, we weren't smoking blunts. I mean, I wasn't smoking that was, a ton, period, but... Uh, we, you know, blunts were like... It was a, it was an exotic moment. Yeah. And it was right before the blunt, like the Philly blunt t-shirt right became around. the big thing. Yeah, and Redman came yeah. out with How to Roll a Blunt. Exactly. And like, it was right then. Uh, so... That's how old we are. He, he wasn't used to, he wasn't used to like that much smoke, I think, and got super high super quick. And the cigar, the cigar lends itself to the high, just the cigar mixing with the weed makes you a different kind of high. Right. When you're young. You know, and a detail from the very beginning that comes into play now that I forgot is when Steve was first trying to get out of going with this dude, just in the very beginning, after he found out he was robbing people, he was like, oh, I can't hang out. I have to go meet this girl. Steve, like, made up this date he had and to be cool. Yeah. And so they're they're on this. They're on the bench. They've gone. They've smoked. They've done what they set out to do. I don't think they're having, like, a great time, but it's not, you know... Terrible. It's not terrible. I don't think it's... But there's a tension. But they're high, too. Yeah, but they're high. Uh, you should bring Steve on to tell. But, so, he's like, yo, if I'm gonna be late, I should at least call this girl to just try to, like, get to civilization. But who is he actually gonna call? Nobody. I think he just wants to, like, Get away. Yeah, be near a payphone. Have an could, out. Have an out. Or he could, like, potentially just, like, call his mom or something and be like, help me. I don't know. He's just, like, you know, he, he knows that there's phones back near the train, maybe. He could get out of the situation. Yeah, he needs to get out of this park. It's like some, you know, nobody's around. He's high as a kite. Like, he's scared that, you know, something crazy is going to happen. So... They go, so they go, he's like, oh no, he says, he's like, I thought you didn't have any money. How are you, how are you going to call this girl? And he says, oh, I have a calling card. Again, this is the era that we're in, calling cards. And which a lot of us did have, like sometimes your parents would, would give you a calling card or like you would know the number. So you, you didn't have a quarter, call. you could make a, a phone call in an emergency. And so he was like, oh, let me see it. Let me see the card. And Steve's like, no, I don't actually have a car. I just know the number. And uh, so he's like... Eric's like, thinks Steven's fucking with him. Right. So in the play, I can't remember if this actually happened. In the play, he's like, oh, yeah, but let me see the card. And when Steve takes out his wallet to show him that there's not a card, Eric gets really offended. He's like, why do you always act like I'm going to rob you, man? Put your fucking wallet away. So now you're just reciting lines <laughs> from the play. You forgot this through so I, th- I can't How remember that actually get happened. away from the guy? So Steve, they go, he's like, fine. They go to the phone. Eric's like, yo, let me see that this works. Let me, I'm going to use your card. So Eric uses the card. He starts talking to somebody. Steve doesn't know who it is. And in that moment, super high, Steve is just like, yo, I'm going to go. Oh, the train, the, the, the subway station is right there. He's like, 
This has been great. I, I got love it. you. <laughs> uh, and he just sort of stumbles off while Eric is on the phone, goes down on the like, train. You like, wouldn't believe this. They got a calling card. I could call people. So he tells us the story, and we're like, what did he actually want? Like, did he, was he, was he thinking of robbing him and didn't? Did he just want to make a friend? Did he, he want to make, make sweet out love? with yeah. him? Was it like Dave and Artie Lang situation? Like, what was the deal? Anyway, so. So Greg took this, what was the thing that inspired you to do this play? I think it was just that, that, that it was just like this thing that in some way encapsulated a part of our youth and New York and, uh, but and so the, the desire to write the play was answering the question of like what was he after the and most the play which you have to go see or ask for it in your town uh, it's, it's recently been published by Dramatis Play Service go cop it but what's it called it's called Dutch Masters um, like the blunt and the painters exactly but the funny thing to me is that you wrote the play. You wrote the play as a short film in 1993. <laughs> yes. It took to be 2013 <laughs> for it to come out, and all of a sudden it was nostalgia. But it was written as current. Basically, yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. But Greg's play, it was just up uh, in the East Village, and a bunch of our friends went to see it, and it was like, it was amazing. It's two actors, it's a very like stark uh, stage, and like it was packed. I guess one night at the performance, fucking Chris Rock shows up. Common. Common. Lupita. Greg loves Common. Who else? Lupita. I don't know who Lupita well, is. Well, I had a very... My Lupita director, was there? My director's a very famous what was actor. Hadid, was just Hadish there? Tiffany Hadish? <laughs> no, <laughs> Tiffany Hadish was not there. Um, but yeah, my, the guy who directed it is my buddy from grad school, and he is a very famous actor now, and he has all these famous friends who came through, and it was and, very And fun. Greg also is in some famous web series with Omar from The Wire, and he's going to get Omar on Dopey one day. Sure. Do you think that'll happen? Yeah, totally. You do? Uh, yeah. Anyway, the play is incredibly uh, exciting and pretty successful and critically acclaimed. It has gone okay. It's been done in L.A. and New York. It's going to be in Chicago next year. Um, yeah. Cop it while it's hot. Can you cop it? <laughs> yeah, you can cop it. I don't think you, I don't think you can cop the play, <laughs> but I think it's cool that you did the play, and I think it is a very dopey story. Definitely, don't you think? I do. So I guess it's time to wrap it up. But you want to talk about the history of our friendship? Yeah, but we could do that another time. You Say should have the dopey one nation thing about the history of our friendship that is compelling to you because you never talk about mushy stuff like that, and I want to hear what you have to say. I just mean us coming together and our different personalities and... I think we're like mirror images. What do you mean? I mean, I feel like I looked up to you for very specific things. And like, like what? Like my... Like what? You know, like I really... Like my copious eating or my disgusting <laughs> nature? No, my I... My inability to inject heroin properly? I never liked Entenmann's chocolate cake as much as you did, but... No, I just all I, I the way that you always like wore your opinion on your sleeve and your heart on your sleeve at the same time. You, there's a lot of stuff on your sleeve, also some like cake, phlegm, um, <laughs> mucus, perhaps. but like that you you never mince words. And I feel like I, you know, am pretty shy and grew up, you know... I never realized how shy you were until you did Dopey. Well, <laughs> I was like, why did I have this shy guy on the show? And just, like, generally fearful and, like, not wanting to make mistakes and... Whereas I don't mind making mistakes. <laughs> yeah, you don't <laughs> mind. You relish in it. I relish in mistake-making. <laughs> and you... And, and you're not uh, afraid to... I mean, I just feel like also, like, just growing up in... 
elevators and being quiet and polite and whatever and like you always let your opinion be known and regardless of whether or not it was a popular opinion or not and but I also did that to make people feel comfortable like it seemed uncomfortable but I would always do it to like make people comfortable you know what I mean like you it would be naturally it would be uncomfortable but you see people respond really well to me in elevators oh yeah I'm like really popular you're in the super elevator. friendly I've always wanted to be a person who like walks into the deli and is like hey Freddie like people know but I don't talk to anybody I don't talk to my neighbors I'm just like and you talk to everybody and are friendly and start up conversations you know they know my name at the deli in I Sayville know. and like I never had that before she's like I go Barbara, she goes, hello, David. <laughs> Dave, how you doing? What can I get you? How's the family, David? Yeah, I love it. That sounds dreamy. It's, you could do that. Uh, but I think I hate people too much and myself you too much. You don't want them to know you. Exactly. I don't want to be known. In the I coffee like shop? keeping it private. I'm safer. Many force fields around me. Getting back to the beginning of the episode. But no, sometimes I want to come back and, and talk about your youth and uh, that I always thought it was weird that you became a became junkie. junkie i know me too isn't it so weird you never would have expected that right i wouldn't have from this middle class jewish kid sweet <laughs> <laughs> but i wonder not wonder, so dysfunctional family who, yes i wonder i wonder like who could you predict i mean like i just i just wonder like who's predictable like was chris predictable maybe if you talk to his family was todd I mean, definitely. If you look, if you imagine Todd when he was... Well, Chris only slightly more, and I don't know Chris, again, but it seemed like he had more resources than you did to get, right? Doesn't he have some money? Yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, you weren't rolling in it ever. Like, you had to fucking... No, that's true. Scrap to... to and then all of your weird, like, limits where you're like, it makes me laugh that you're like, no, I would never, like, shoot it in my butt or do this or, like... Who, who's heard of a junkie who's like, no, I won't. I won't do that for dope. I'll be an addict, but I'm not going to, like... I think it's because I come from this very, very middle-class family, and I... But then again, my, my boundaries got... I wasn't planning on ever shooting heroin. Right. You know, I was never planning right. on... Right, you moved the goalpost, but you didn't, like, completely <laughs> change fields. No, that's true. That's true. Um, here, we're going to do the dopey review of the day, and this is the newest one, and you can read the whole thing. Okay. <clears throat> I love the podcast. Yeah, it, just read the title oh, of the review. Okay. It's called You're Helping. Who's it's it a, from? It's a five-star review from Cape Fearless. Cape Fearless. Thank you for the five-star review. I love the podcast. Do you know I showed Nora uh, the Simpsons Cape Fear episode? Do you know where Sideshow Bob? Yeah hunts them and she got so scared she couldn't go to sleep and she's like daddy why did you show me this and it's, I was like because it's funny even a spoof of that movie is scary it's such a scary movie you, you remember when, when we went to the Museum of Natural History and Dave's son was laughing through the movie like Robert De Niro in Cape Fear did you see that no I don't think yeah, I, I think was you, there it was for that. hysterical anyway continue I love the podcast. If you get it, you really get it. Three exclamation points. You will not find anything else that compares to this. I still haven't caught up to the latest show. I'm on number 63. Wow. wow. He's got a ways to go. Ways to go. I wanted to hear everything leading up to the current show and get to know Dave and Chris. I know it's helping me understand affliction in its various forms. Huh. Affliction, not addiction. No, we call it affliction. Oh, sorry. We call it addiction as an affliction. Got it. As opposed to as disease. I get the stories and how these types of dopey situations happen. Keep it up, Dave. We love you. So do you think that person knows that Chris is dead? 
I think because he ended it, keep, keep it, it up, up Dave. Dave. He does know that he somehow got the, the spoiler. Memo. Imagine uh, like if you don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's just I cannot. I, I have to say it's been wonderful having you here with us. Uh, but I totally miss Chris. <laughs> Not because of you. No, I know. I, it would have been great to have you and Chris. I, Chris would have thought you were so funny. Um, but like, uh, and I miss Todd. And uh, and we will celebrate International Overdose Awareness Day by missing our lost friends. You know, you you. I know that Todd, when he would see you, would would be all excited to see you. I don't know if you knew that Todd admired you, but I do. I, I love Todd too. You did? Yeah, I didn't see him that much though. He was sweet. I love that kid. Anyway. So what we say at the end of the show is we say, uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation. You want to say the thing? Toodles? You're going to say it. <laughs> I, I should say it, too. I say, I say, fuck you, Chris, for making me say toodles. So everybody's gone, and I just wanted to end the episode again. Uh, I really appreciate hearing from everybody in the Dopey Nation uh, Facebook group. And, like, the Dopey Nation Facebook group is amazing, but it's certainly not the Dopey Nation. You know, the Dopey Nation is anybody that says they're in the Dopey Nation. You don't have to join a Facebook group if you don't want to. I love to see all the stuff you guys are putting up. It makes me feel good. I know Chris would have been amazed by it. I know Chris would have been amazed by everything that's happening. And I know that um, we were really lucky to be able to make the show together for as long as we did. And I was really lucky to make it with him. And he was really funny. And he was really generous. And he was... Um, a great partner. The problem is that uh, he's an addict and he relapsed and he died. And, um, and that can happen. And this is whatever international overdose awareness weekend, or it was yesterday. And this show didn't really reflect international overdose awareness day or whatever. I mean, we had Tracy and we had uh, Tim from Philly's voicemail, but it's like, the fact is that we do, or I do, or we do, a podcast about uh, drugs, addiction, recovery, and dumb shit, and we lost the, my partner. We lost Chris to, rela- to overdose, so every day is International Overdose Awareness Day, and obviously we lost uh, one of my best friends, Todd, and we lost Andrew, um, who I hear from his mother and his father from time to time, and I'll read their email coming soon. We lost Dave Marshall. We lost Troy Wilcox. We probably lost a handful of people that we don't even know. If you're using and you use with people, chances are you're going to lose some of them, and that's just the harsh reality. Um, one thing they say is if you get high on heroin, you should get high with somebody so they, they can and make sure they have Narcan so that can save your life, and that would be great if you did that be great if you didn't get high too it would be great if you did anything to uh stay alive and to stay safe so one last time stay strong dopey nation and toodles i want to take a walk around the world i wonder would it do me any good until i get some money in my pocket then i guess i'll just have to walk around my neighborhood but I want to be good so bad want to be so good, so bad, so bad I want to be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had And I want
wanna take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be so good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. And I wonder would they pay it any mind. When I leave this busted city far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find, and I want to be good so bad, want to be good so bad, so bad, I want to be good so bad, bad desire's all I ever had, damn it, all these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had. It's all I ever had, and these suckers make me mad, and I want to call my dad, and it's all I ever had, 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 and these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and I want to